Welcome to the B'nai International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashen. Thank you for tuning in today. Today, I'll be talking with Laura Seltzer-Dunai, the documentary filmmaker behind Nobody Wants Us, the true story of Jewish refugees who sailed to Hampton Roads, Virginia, in order to seek asylum from the Nazis in 1940. During a period when the United States was turning away large numbers of refugees, this group was allowed in the country thanks to the advocacy of a Newport News, Virginia lawyer named Jacob Morowitz. Morowitz was, in fact, a relative of Laura Seltzer Dunai's on her mother's side of the family. Today, we'll be hearing more about this film, which took eight years to make and which tells a vital and still relevant story about immigration and asylum. Visit the film's website at nobodywantsus.com for information about upcoming screenings, to schedule a community screening, or to purchase the film for a school. Laura, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. So I was in Greece recently and heard a story about the Holocaust that I had not heard before. It was a very interesting story about three young men who um, were called uh, to the synagogue. They were rounding up Jews in Athens and they were putting them into the synagogue. And they, um, on their way, um, they were found out and they were beaten by the police. But in between the beatings, the police told them, don't go in because this is not good for you, and they told them to run away. Two of them did actually uh, go into the synagogue and ultimately perished in the Holocaust, and another mm. one uh, did run away and, and survived. I say this because just when you think you've heard every story <laughs> about the Holocaust, uh, there's always something new. True. Um, and uh, the story that you've... Um, depicted here uh, in the film uh, of the Kwanzaa and uh, the refugees uh, coming to uh, the United States and to Hampton Roads is one of those stories that we have not heard before. So the first question is, how do you learn about the ship itself? What prompted you to do this? Well, it's a great question. And what was interesting was, so this was 1940, and the ship came in in September 1940, and it really was a little known story in my community. It wasn't talked about back then in my hometown. And I think that a lot of the Jewish families, it was a strong but a really tight-knit Jewish community that um, just did not want to make waves. They wanted to blend in. They were first-generation Americans. They were second-generation Americans. Now we flash forward, right, up to about 10 years ago. And I had moved to Washington, D.C., and I had a distant cousin who was living in San Francisco who called me. I hadn't, I had not met him. I, did, I didn't know him. And he didn't know me either. And we realized that we were relatives. He called me because of that. And he knew I was a filmmaker. And he said, I've got a story for you. So he tells me this story, and he actually wanted me to produce a feature film about it, which is interesting because there have, there's become interest now in producing a feature film of this. But I'm a documentary filmmaker through and through for almost 20 years, and I love documenting these unknowns, these little-known stories about heroes, about heroes in our own backyard. And um, so... I told him that I started, I, so I started researching it, and he 
Luckily, it was Stephen Morowitz and and David Morowitz, who was actually the two lawyer the 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 lawyer's son and grandson. Interestingly, that lawyer J. L. Morowitz, Jacob L. L. Morowitz that you just mentioned, his wife was also a lawyer, and she was working with him, and she was one of the first female lawyers to graduate from William and Mary University. So um, one thing that's really great about this is PBS saw the film. They've asked me to extend the film, so I'm going to extend the information about some of the women heroes, the local heroes from Virginia, as well as Eleanor Roosevelt. So it's great that now I'm able to expose this little-known story. So talk more about the research because it's, it's interesting. So how did you find uh, the, the people who lived through this? I get the, the Morowitz connection, uh, but there were others. What was it like to talk to them directly about this? It was so great to be able to meet with them and to know that my great uncle and great aunt helped them. And so did the National Council of Jewish Women. They helped them and they made a difference and they took a chance and they, they decided to make a difference. And so there was a ship manifest that was able to be found. And um, the Morowitzes had found that and gave that to me and had done a little bit of research. And then I reached out to the few living people who had been on that ship. So I ended up finding a woman who was three years old in 1940, who I interviewed, Annette Lackman, who's featured in the film, uh, Simone Neufeld, who was 13 years old at the time, and sadly has passed away, as well as um, Irving Riddell, who was a teenager also um, at the time, who also sadly passed away. So, I mean, it's so important for us to tell these stories, right? Because, well, this, the, the yeah. story of the Kwanzaa um, closely um, uh, approximates the SS St. Louis mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Yeah. Now, the SS St. Louis had many more passengers. Mm-hmm. It was um, a, a, an international story. Um, mm-hmm. Kwanzaa, smaller, um, as, as we said, less known, but similar in, in many respects. So while the refugees were trapped on the ship at various ports uh, for more than a month, um, did they have any idea from what you uh, discovered uh, about um, what was happening in Europe to the Jews? I mean, it, it, was word getting through somehow? So they dodged the bombs. They escaped their homes. They were trekking through Europe at the time. There were people that were being brought to camp, to concentration concentration camp. So they were aware of all that uh, to the level of how bad it was going to get. You know, they didn't know, but they knew it was really bad. So um, I think that so many people were aware of the St. Louis because at the end of the day, they were sent back. But at the end of the day, you'll have to watch the film to see what happened to these uh, refugees. <laughs> well, the the um, story of the difficulty at once they were in port and the, the back and forth with uh, Morowitz and the authorities, right. um, it, it, it's... it's um, as, as I watched clips uh, of, of the film, um, it just breaks your heart uh, to think that these people were of no threat to the United mm-hmm, States. Mm-hmm. Um, they were running from a situation which was well-known 
in the United States, well, certainly well known to our governmental authorities. Um, and yet, um, they had a difficult time. Um, what were you thinking when you learned you know, these facts as you went along in the research and then also in the interviews? Well, what I found fascinating was we found Breckenridge Long's assistant secretary, our assistant secretary of state at the time, we found his war diaries. And his war diaries at the time said, delay, delay, delay. Do not let these people off that ship. Let as few as possible off that ship. Um, there was information saying that Eleanor Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt did get involved, and she did say, you have to save the children, but then how do you how do you separate them from their families? Which was an interesting point that, you know, really does kind of resonate with today. Um, so, yeah, it was just a sad situation that I think that we need to really, really think about America's response to refugees both, both then and now. Tell us more about... Um Eleanor Roosevelt's role in this. How did she get involved? She heard from um, um, Stephen Wise. He had reached out to her, and some others had reached out to her as well. And then she communicated with Breckenridge Long, as well as someone who worked under Breckenridge Long, Patrick Murphy Malin. And she just was saying, you really must do something about that. So this was all like hearsay and conversations that have been relate to me. But there were so many other situations with refugees that did not turn out like this. Right. And um, it's interesting that um, while this was a success story and one that we can all certainly celebrate, um, there were so many other situations where there wasn't the intervention of an Eleanor Roosevelt. No, I think that um, what, what troubles me about this is, is that while this was really a, a success story to be celebrated, there were so many other situations of people trying to get into the United States uh, that didn't uh, end up like, like this one did. And where uh, Breckenridge Long, who was known uh, for uh, his anti-Semitism, as we look back, but even then, um, his indifference to the, the lives of, of people uh, who were really running away, running for their lives. Um, it really broke my heart when I, when I saw this. Um, what do you think the lessons are uh, that we can learn from the, the good in this story and also the very frustrating part of the story, which we can't change. We can't go back and change this, unfortunately. So my takeaway, I have a few takeaways of the film, but one of my takeaways is that individuals can make a difference. And so this lawyer who, he was actually hired to help save one family, but he ended up saving all of the families. Um, the women um, at the National Council of Jewish Women in Norfolk, Virginia, they heard about this. They were informed about this ship of, Jew, of Jewish refugees on the ship. They brought them warm, warm meals. They brought them kosher meals. They made them, they actually opened up their homes to them once they were led off the ship on the 11th hour. Um, in terms of the bureaucracy and what was going on in the State Department, this is the challenging question that we all ask what to do now, too. And, you know, we all try to stand up for what's right. And, I mean, you know, thank God for organizations like yourself, too, that, I'm sure you're doing things, too, to try and help the situation with do refugees. You, do you think that um, 
the St. Louis story had an impact at all on the outcome of the Kwanzaa? That's a, another good question. I don't know. I mean, I think that, as we know, hundreds of ships were coming in at the time and trying to get out. And as we know, Hitler even wanted them to come out. And then he wanted different countries to say, we don't want these refugees. So therefore, I'll take care of that. And I'll do something with them. And I will take care of the problem of the Jews. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to like to really know what really was going on at the time. You know, this is coming at a time when there's been, we're in the 75th year, the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. Um, And um, there are many uh, commemorations, uh, many articles, many TV programs, many documentaries, actually, um, about um, that era and that period, that tragic uh, period of history. But one of the things that has been focused on in in, uh, this whole discussion is why didn't we bomb the rail lines to Auschwitz? Mm, this has right. come back in a big way yeah. in a discussion. Why didn't we? And you'd have to put the refusal to accept the SS St. Louis, the bureaucracy with the Kwanzaa, the inability to, uh, to, to come to um, a positive uh, response on the need to bomb the rail lines. I, I think it's all you know, part of the same thing. And th- because the spotlight of, of the present is uh, now on the 75th anniversary, these uh, um, stories from the Holocaust, these, these important moments in the Holocaust, uh, are now being discussed uh, again. So do you think that the, the timing of, of your film um, is uh, will will benefit in some way, and I mean that in, in a very good way. Will benefit from the fact that the spotlight is out there, and that people can learn more about this very interesting and welcome chapter of of that period. I mean, sadly, it is an incredibly relevant, you know, pertinent situation that we're dealing with now with refugees today. So the parallels are. are drastically similar and very sad about also America's response to refugees at the time. Uh, You mentioned the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, and it's actually in September, it will be the 80th anniversary of when this ship came over. So this happened five years prior, you know, five more years happened of horrible, horrific persecution of Jews after these 80-some refugees came over. Imagine, imagine, imagine the guilt that these refugees felt um, for surviving. And it was interesting because when I interviewed them, they hadn't really wanted to talk a lot about it until recent years because of the guilt that they had of surviving. Is there anything um, in the Tidewater area being planned for this 80th anniversary? There's a few. I don't know. That's a great question. Well, they should. Tidewater, Virginia community, Peninsula, Virginia community should definitely be doing some things. Well, certainly uh, we hope that they will because it's always good to make the as much as we celebrate uh, what happened to the Kwanzaa and to its passengers wherever we live. Um, certainly uh, locally, I think it uh, would be great if if they could do something. And PBS has expressed interest in airing the film in September 2020 to commemorate the 80th anniversary. 
So they've asked, I think I, they've asked me to extend my 37-minute film. This 37-minute film is perfect for schools and libraries and, and actual like community dialogues because you watch the film and then you have a really in-depth, meaningful panel discussion. But PBS has asked me to extend it. So that's what I'm, I'm actually fundraising to do that now. So just uh, before we close, bring us up to date on the Morowitz family. It's now uh, three generations since. Um, how many lawyers are there in the family? <laughs> well, um, there's several Morowitzes still living in the Newport News, Virginia area. And um, I don't know if any, many are actually lawyers. There's some, real, there's some in real estate and various industries, the furniture business. And and many of the oh we have some of some more what's is actually in California, in the um, entertainment industry big names in the entertainment industry, and in California doing some great work with um, um, different social issues that he's working on, so we're we're all spread around. I'm a seltzer. Uh, my mother was a Morowitz, and um, yeah, we are now doing kind of the American Jewish scenario where we're we are spreading our spreading all over this the u.s like all of us uh just one final thing uh, jacob seemed to be uh, notwithstanding the fact that he was a fighter uh and and that that comes across mm-hmm. clearly and and this could not have succeeded without someone who was persistent uh and he certainly was but my sense is also that he was a very modest um fellow in terms of um the thank yous that I'm sure came to him, mm-hmm. that um, he was in that category of people, it seems, where, well, I only did it because it was the right thing to do, right. um, as opposed to any any other kind of uh, accolades that, that he might get. Is that, that the impression as you work through all of this material and as you've talked to members of the family that he was like that? Most definitely. I mean, he was, from what the impression that I have of him is um, that he was... He just wanted to get the job done, and he there there were no photos of him. There were such there was there were so few documentations of actually what he did, and um, he just wanted to get the job done and do the right thing. But he definitely was dogged about it, and he when when push came to shove, he was really comfortable at being loud and proud and doing what he had, knew had to get done. Well, he was a, a great hero uh, and a great rescuer mm-hmm. of Jews and the Holocaust, and we uh, owe him a, a debt of gratitude. Um, what's next on your agenda? What are you working on, other than lengthening this particular film? Well, what's interesting about this film is, so I joined, the film is now being distributed by an educational distributor, New Day Films, and it's also available on Canopy.com for streaming around the country and it is I'm now taking it to communities around the country as and film festivals and screening it and we're having dialogues and we are creating an educational component to accompany the film so I'm working with some Holocaust experts and curriculum experts so I'm really thrilled about that well that's great and we wish you really uh, the very best Thank you. Um, the film is Nobody Wants Us. Look for this on PBS in the longer version coming soon. Uh, and it's a film uh, by the documentary maker Laura Seltzer Dunai. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Laura. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. Please visit our website, benebrit.org. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For my guest, Laura Seltzer-Dunai, I'm Dan Mary Ashen. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. <laughs>